Oh, man. There's so many moments now in the comic books that are, like, coming back to me. Like, when Scott comes back with Lisa. And then, like, at the end, how... um how Scott does form Shatterband with Kim. <laughs> yeah. And they do a bad cover of I'm a Believer. I'm a Believer. I thought love was something, something, <laughs> fairy tales. <laughs> what does young Neil says? That was an extremely bad cover of <laughs> I'm a Believer by the Monkees. <laughs> Welcome back to the Why Do I Talk To You podcast. I think I'm still Saul Starship 4. I've been really considering changing that because of every every time I have to do this intro, I'm always reconsidering changing my gamer tag. Who are you again? <laughs> Dave Gamer Dave Naple. Maybe if you said it with more confidence, it would, you know, and that would make the difference. It kind of doesn't allow me any confidence. Why not? It's like, hey, I'm a Saul Starship 4. Oh. This is my co-host, Dave Gamer Dave Naple. <sighs> One of these is not like the other. <laughs> yeah, I have confidence. All right. Talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world today. Yes, let's, we just, are. let's just cut straight to the chase. Um, I like the I like our planning of, of this episode and our previous episode, Epic Mickey. Uh, because both of these little, you know, things of nerd slash pop culture kind of popped up around the same time for me, at least. Yeah. You, um, you really have a seasonal sort of attachment to different things in life, don't mm, you? I really do. Yeah. So I, we're not going to be able to do an episode on Muppet Treasure Island until the summer, are we? I mean, it's Muppet Treasure Island. I'll, I'll make an exception. Last time I asked you, when we actually seriously talked about watching Muppet Treasure Island, like, no, it's not the summer yet. I've got to watch it the start of summer. It's no, it works. I'll, I'll make an exception for Muppet Treasure Island. Tell with Christmas, too, although that's fair. Yes, I respect uh, that. Please, thank you. Sheesh. <laughs> Uh, which means we can't do any Christmas, like our one Christmas movie podcast until uh, till after Thanksgiving. Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so Ru- picky. Rules are rules, Dave. Oh, man. I didn't I... make them. I just abide by them. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> I totally made them up. I know. Uh, so um, today we're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. This is a huge, huge thing that Dave and I share in common that we just both love like 100%. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we are like totally a hundred percent in on like everything this franchise offers, but we've read all the books. We've watched the movie upwards of a hundred times. We've played the video game. We played the video game. Um, it's kind of, we're such nerdos, but we're not really like the, we're not like in with any of the, like, you know, the hardcore crowd. Like we love Pokemon, but we don't love it enough to be like, you know, a strict Pokemon podcast, like in the Pokemon crowd, you know, like we don't do competitive battling and we don't finish our Pokedex and <laughs> we don't do any of that stuff, but we, we still love it. And that's kind of how we are with this, uh, franchise too. Yeah. Cause like, I don't, I don't think you'll be seeing any of us cosplaying as like, oh, that would be awesome. Though. I might be able to cosplay as like Como. As <laughs> Como? I might. <laughs> It's kind of obscure. I just, I'm, I'm trying to think about who you... you could, I could pull off Scott. You could pull off movie Scott for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of got, like, gruffly hair in the book, too. A little bit. Kind of. Not as much as, you know, because you have to have the shaggy hair, and then you got to put on your, your hat <laughs> I right need away. that. I want that hat so bad. <laughs> i got to teach you bass guitar, too. Oh, that would be awesome. You, anyway. You'll get all the ladies. All right. So... <laughs> Said no bass player ever. Oh. <laughs> 
right, anyway. So the start of Scott Pilgrim Dumb for us, I believe, actually begins with me. Yep. Um, I think, you know, we had sort of seen trailers or commercials or what have you for scott pilgrim but they didn't do like anything no because we had no idea what it was yeah i uh, this was like during the summer before our last year at college at cbu and yeah. um i was it was still the summer so the term hadn't started yet i was coming to the uh, to the campus every once in a while uh to meet with my friend chris because we were trying to write a percussion ensemble piece together and one day we come and we meet and he was just all like, I have the perfect movie for you and Dave. Yeah, it was. I was like, what movie is that? He's like, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And like it had been out for maybe you know, three, three-ish weeks or something like that. And it didn't really even make a huge like thing at the box office either. So I was just like, what did you just say to me? <laughs> and he was like, it's like the perfect movie for you guys. I'm like, I mean, did you like the movie? He's like, yeah, I liked it, but you guys would love it even more. <laughs> I'm like, why? And he's like, oh, because it's got like a lot of video game stuff in it and, and like whatnot. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. And you're always very careful of being pandered to. This will be a separate rant, but it it, it does go to uh, Wreck It Ralph. Yeah. Um, but that'll be a separate thing. But yes, I'm very careful of being. I'm very careful of being. Uh, a product of a focus group of like, oh, yeah. so, you know, we need to attract more of the loser gamers. <laughs> <laughs> and so they think of me and Dave. <laughs> and so they call us in. We're just like, hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, what would you guys like? like? I don't know, man. I don't know. Put the video games in it, I guess. Oh, are, <laughs> yeah. are these Super Mario themed fruit roll-ups? Man, I love these. Oh, <laughs> uh, put it in. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, yes, I'm very, I'm very careful of that. Call it pride, but you know, as much pride as a loser like me can have. You got it. I guess. Yeah. At least I walk outside with my pants on. That's pride. <laughs> Is that a thing? Shoot. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I took his bait, and um, you know, Dave, uh, Dave lived in San Diego all his life, and so during the summer we didn't really hang out much. Um, I think you had finally moved back for the term. I guess I must have. It, 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 the time frame of this is really hazy to me. I feel like it's late August because I remember it being hot. Uh, maybe we should look up when this movie released. All right. <laughs> so any, I, in either case, we we were able to meet up and um and and we went to the movie theater close by to CBU, and uh, it was interesting because both of us had like very little what to expect. I think like at that point yeah. we might have like done some base research on like what this was. I don't think I even had. No. Uh, no, I don't think I had at all. Okay, I I might have just like, oh, it's based off of a comic book excuse me graphic novel um and then that was it so we go into the theater there was barely anybody else in there and dave and i were just rolling in the aisles yeah so it came out in like mid-august so it must have been like late summer which is why we were able to see it together before rehearsal camp too well that's when it came out i don't know how long it was in theaters but yeah i don't know that's because i know we didn't see it when term started yet Okay. I, I know that for sure, at least. Okay. I mean, um, I'll take your word for it. For yeah. Sure. So um, <laughs> anyways, and so so we saw it and we were just like rolling in the aisles. I mean, like it's <laughs> it's one of those movies where like because I'm a I'm a giggler. I giggle <laughs> a lot. And so whenever I'm in a movie or something and, and a scene is just like that 
funny. I'm laughing for like the next two scenes. Yeah. And so like I feel bad because I'm because I'm just an obnoxious clod at that point. And I'm just like shut like I'm stuffing my face in my hands to like block off my laughter and stuff. Yeah. And Dave was a little similar in this movie too. And that is not usual for me. Mm-mm. I am not like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't think there's no other movie. There's no other movie. There was like a uh, a comedy show that I saw a couple of times with my grandfather when I was in middle school that made me laugh this hard. That's very obscure. Like a stand-up comedy show? It was a show called Triple Espresso. I don't know how to describe it other than it was a comedy show that was playing in downtown San Diego and it made me laugh a lot. Mm. So it wasn't it was like a play. Mm, okay. was, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. random random reference, but yeah, these those are pretty much the only two times I remember laughing this hard, like <laughs> in a like theater, like when the performance is going on. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so so after we got out of the movie, yeah, we were like full of energy, and we were like we were like all in on the whole Scott Pilgrim franchise. Yeah, we like immediately started trying to find like everything out we could about this. <laughs> So the next thing would have been obviously to get into the books um, because, you know, a lot of people I think who saw this movie were probably book fans first because I don't think it did well in the box office, did it? Uh, it actually didn't. It's yeah. very sad. Did it bomb? Uh, I think it said they made like $47 million and the production budget was like 85 Oh, so, so that's a bomb. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, if, if they don't make their money back in profit, then they call it a bomb. Yeah, well, there you go. So sad. Um, uh, we I've, did our part. How many did we see it multiple times together? I didn't. I don't know if you saw it again. Uh, I feel like I saw it in theaters a second time, but I might. I don't know. I could with, be wrong. With Sam or we something. We certainly bought the Blu-ray collector's edition DVD. At least and, I did. And the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of a couple of months later, we like, certainly made Brian Lee O'Malley his money back. We bought <laughs> all the other stuff from the series. So, because uh, a couple of months after that, I mean, we're still sort of talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the next obvious step would have been to get the books, mm-hmm. um, but we're broke college students, so we couldn't just like go out and get it. Uh, one day, though, I just decided, you know what, I want these. Yeah. And so I think we went to a bookstore together. We went a few. We would go a few times together, and we would like pine over them. <laughs> we would like find that section, and be like, "I really want these." <laughs> and then I finally just said, "Like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm just gonna get the first two because there's six of them. Yeah, so I'm just gonna get the first two, and that'll appease me for a little bit." I read them both within like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you blaze through them. You totally do. And then eventually, I I forget if I just got them through Amazon or if I just like went to a bookstore and just like you know ripped the bandage off and just got them all. <laughs> but then you know I was able to read them all. Mm-hmm. That semester in itself was was really that semester was really busy for me. I had a lot of stuff going on that semester. That was the second to last one in college. This would have all been at the same time as Epic Mickey too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the big, like the big thing that I remember as far as my, my studies go in this time was, uh, Dave and I, again, were also in, um, a production of uh, Man of La Mancha at the school. We were in the pit orchestra. He played clarinet. I played percussion. That was a really fun show. Um, and much, much like other times we did pit orchestras, there's a lot of times where there is just nothing to do. And since you're in, you're out of sight from the, from the audience, we were like in the backstage orchestra also. We weren't just like in the yeah, floor. Yeah. Um, we all like, you know, the, the conductor, Dr. Miller, like he brought in like snacks and like an electric kettle. What an awesome guy. Yeah, man. Dr. Miller, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. Mm. We miss you. You're awesome. We hope you're doing well. Everybody brought like snacks and, you know, Dave and I brought our Game Boys or, you know, in, in his case, his DS. Yeah. Um, that was and, when I was playing Final Fantasy 4. 
Oh, yeah? Oh, no, it wasn't. That was the one before. Never mind. Oh. Scratch that. Reverse it. <laughs> no, oh, wait, oh. What? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, and I brought all six books of Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> and I remember, like, you know, Channy was there, and he was like, can I read those, too? I'm like, yeah, sure. And spread Vince. it. Yeah, like, Schmutzer was there. Yeah. And spread the spreading the wealth. Like, Scott Pilgrim was just, like, all throughout my whole semester there. And even the books that I had, like, read already, I was just rereading them. Yeah. Um, Dave, a couple years later, finally got himself a PS3 mm-hmm. and so was able to get the video game. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the video game? Uh, not a whole lot. I feel bad because I didn't do much research on this, like who made it or whatever. The only thing I really know is that the soundtrack was done by Anamanaguchi mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It just all feels so appropriate. Uh, it's, it's a beat em up with RPG elements, which is pretty much exactly what you would expect to be based on the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels super true. And the books, it just feels super true to everything, and it, it is more based on the book, and all the animation looks just like it, and it's like the the sort of faux 8-bit style, where it's closer to 16-bit, but they try to make everything a little blocky, to be like, oh, it's 8-bit, but it's too good to be 8-bit, mm-hmm. but this is fine, it just looks really classic, and mm-hmm. it's a beat-em-up, and you go through and you beat guys up, and it's fun, <laughs> and it's multiplayer. Dave and I was able to play that game in one sitting, one time, yeah. we're hanging out, and I do not regret it one no. bit. yeah. So again, suffice it to say that we are we are all in on the Scott Pilgrim franchise and yeah. Brian Lee O'Malley's work. Um, for this, we well, even the, tried out some of his other stuff. Yeah, yeah. I like Seconds. Seconds was good. Yeah. What was the other one that you didn't like? Lost, was, Lost, like, or something. Yeah, Lost at I Sea. That anyway, I I did read that. Yeah, it was okay. Mm-hmm. A little more deep mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah. So um, for the sake of this podcast, you know, if we were to focus on the books, this podcast would be at least three hours long. Yeah. Um, but however, in this case, this is a rare instance where the 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 movie adaptation is incredibly faithful it's, to the books. It's it is almost really obscenely good. faithful. And it's interesting because the things they change, you're like. I kind of almost like that better. Mm-hmm. There, like, there's a few things. There's a few things that just kind of get left out, right? That just get left on the cutting room floor because you've got an hour and a half movie as opposed to six books, and there's just no way you can fit all this stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And those things get left out, and you're sad. Um, and so you can be like, "Oh, I really missed out on all this and all this development," and that's too bad. So, like, the books are still better than the movie, but the movie is one of the most like faithful and interesting interpretations of this art style that you will ever see and it's still really really good Mm -hmm. and the stuff that the movie adds as opposed to feeling like it's tacked on like that happens in a lot of movies where they'll add something it's on the book and it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel natural in this it actually like feels like it works and that's pretty impressive Mm -hmm. um so and it's weird we're talking like we did read it's weird because we like have to compare it to the books because now we've read them but at the time we had no idea Mm-mm. we weren't going in there like we're fans like is this better than the books we were just like that movie was incredible <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of all there was so it we're gonna i think we're gonna try to talk about the movie on its own merits but we will definitely compare it to the books just because we love the books and we mm-hmm. want to talk about them too so yeah oh my goodness <laughs> Right now, fully open recommendation: read the books. Yeah, they're good. It's gra- like, it's graphic novels, so it's you know it's they're not easy reads. Yes, um, they're very easy reads. There's color versions out now. Oh, I still need to get those. <laughs> Just money. Just money. 
All right, so um, here we go, talking about the movie. Uh, the main cast, Scott Pilgrim, is played by good old Michael Sarah. Yeah. Uh, Ramona, who is the love interest, is played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is a bit of an ensemble cast as well. Um, there are some other, some other big names you may recognize. We have Chris Evans, yeah. Captain America. Before he was Captain Before America. Before he was Captain America. <laughs> um, Brandon Ruth is in it, too, who was Superman in Superman Returns. Oh, yeah. Which one was he? He's uh, Cody. Cody. Uh, Cody. Cody. What? <laughs> Who? Why am I? What? Number three. Yeah. Is it Cody? No, it's not Cody. Uh, <laughs> it's Todd. You're right. <laughs> oh. It's Cody. Oh, my head. Oh. <laughs> it's, you know, oh my Cody. Head. Sorry. <laughs> Moving on. Um... <laughs> Uh, May He's Todd. He's M- Todd. Whitman, who's the voice of, um, she's the voice of Katara from uh, Last Airbender, and she's also in uh, in Arrested Development along oh, with wait. Michael Sarah. Wait, who's she? Roxy. Oh, oh, that's I didn't. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, this is stuff. See, I don't know people, so I'm glad <laughs> Saul's here to tell me this stuff. Uh, huh. J- Jason Schwartzman, who plays the main bad guy. Do you know who he is? Well, if he's the main bad guy, he's Gideon. No, I mean, <laughs> do you know? No, I have no idea. He plays Ash in uh, in Fantastic Mr. In Fox. Oh. In Fantastic Mr. Fox, don't interrupt me. I'm trying okay. to teach you things. <laughs> uh, he's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies, and he's Ash in in um, in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes. Okay. Uh, anybody else that's like big time that I need to mention? Julie, is she big time? Arby Plaza, yeah, yeah. Uh, Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Wallace, he's known. He's not really. He's he's a, he's a Culkin, right? Kieran Culkin, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, there's somebody else, I think. Uh, Brie Larson, she's Is that uh, his she's she's Envy. Oh, okay. um, that uh, I I don't know what she's in, but I know she's she's kind of big time. Okay. So there's a lot of there's a lot of good notable names in this in this movie. Uh, Michael Sarah and and Mary Elizabeth Winstead are the are the tops, but you know there there's a lot of more notable names. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, here's gonna be the first like comparison to the to the book. Yeah, the every every supporting I have to say supporting. <laughs> yeah, every supporting character looks acts and feels like they were completely yeah. ripped straight from the book it's pretty incredible it's almost astounding the how castings. well they got these yeah <laughs> the it is almost completely really astounding how how close they got them to the actual from the actual book iterations mm-hmm. scott and ramona however are they're not quite so like um and this isn't really too much of a criticism but it is something that is different because yeah. the the portrayal of Scott Pilgrim is very much a Michael Sarah portrayal. Yes. Um if you've seen him in anything you've seen his portrayal of Scott Pilgrim in here. Yeah. Um and it works but it's not the Scott Pilgrim from the book. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the only way I can think to describe yeah. it. Ramona in the Ramona in the movie is also a lot more standoffish and kind of mean. She's very quiet and she doesn't smile very much. Yeah. She's she I think she's supposed to feel sort of unapproachable. Yeah. Um which she really isn't in the books. No. But I, they had to get her mysteriousness across in a much shorter period of time. Yeah. Yeah, I I, get, I would I could go with that. I think Ramona and Scott in the books take some time for you to like really get to know 
I don't know. And, and so the the Michael Sarah version and the whatever her name is version in the movie, I forgot it. This is how bad I am. They, they come across a little bit quicker. It, it's faster for you to realize who these characters are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And they, they still work more or less with the themes the book is trying to get across with these characters. But the characters themselves are not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the story of it. I want to talk about the story. I'd also want to talk about the director style, like event, like after this too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. The basic story is that, um, it starts out straight away with some narration. <laughs> Not so great. long ago in the mysterious land of Toronto, Toronto Canada, Canada, Scott Pilgrim was, was dating, dating a high schooler. <laughs> That's yeah. how it starts. It just starts right away, like with that little bit of conflict. With like text on the on like the screen too, like this blocky sort of text. And so, everything. so Scott is in a band. They're called uh, Sex Babom. They're called Sex Babom. <laughs> Um, they're like, it's kind of a bad band, but <laughs> whatever. Um, eventually his girlfriend kind of like, it becomes their groupie because she like is completely enamored with him and the music. This is not Ramona. This is new girlfriend. This is not the, his new, this is new the new high girlfriend. schooler girlfriend. Her name is Knives Chow. Yeah. She's Chinese. <laughs> She's Chinese. <laughs> and, um, so as, as it progresses, um, all of a sudden, Scott sort of gets these, like, dream visions of this girl on rollerblades, roller skates. They're rollerblades. Are they? Oh, whatever. I think so. And uh, it's just sort of like, who is this girl? And then, like, sees her in real life as well. So mm-hmm. she's so he's, like, completely crushing while he has this high school girlfriend. That, by the way, nobody, like, is for. Like, everybody's always like, what are you doing, Scott? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's 20, how old? 25? 24. 20. They say it in the movie. What's wrong they with do. you? They do. 23. Well, I think it's 23. I think it was my card that says I've seen this movie upwards of 100 times. Yeah. He's like young 20. I'm trying to remember because Kim says, what are you, Scott? 28 right, or right. whatever. <laughs> I'm 23. 23, Kim. I think it's 23. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so we can take our fan cards away later. I guess so. I'm sorry. <laughs> the vegan police will come. <laughs> All right. We're referencing this movie upwards and sideways. So, okay. So then um, Scott finally... Um, yeah. <laughs> Scott finds out that she works for Amazon like as like a as a courier mm-hmm. and so he orders something from Amazon and she delivers it and so they they were able to go on a date. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 blazing through by the way cuz I right, don't yeah. yeah. So they go we'll on their like the details. yeah, they they go on their little date and you know they kind of get a little hanky-panky but not not all the way um and invites her to a show. And at the show, Knives happens to be there as well. <laughs> yeah, because um, he hasn't broken up with her yet. <laughs> right. And so they play their show because it's a battle of the bands uh, to get into, to hopefully get a record deal by the end of it by G-Man Graves. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the middle of Sex bob set, uh, a dude comes crashing through the, the literally crashing through the venue. Yeah. His name is Matthew Patel. <laughs> and he is Ramona's first evil, evil ex Boyfriend. Boyfriend. <laughs> and um, it's really hard. Like, the visuals of this movie are so good. It's really hard to do this stuff justice without, like, seeing it. I know. Because everything has this comic style. It's like it's in a comic book in a way that I've never seen any movie do before. Right. And, like, everything, especially everything Matthew says, is, like, accompanied by a very, like, intentional motion. Like, a body <laughs> motion. It's just, it's very, very well directed. His, his actor was, yet again, completely perfectly cast. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, basically, um, 
Uh, well, they fight mm-hmm. because Scott happens to be the best fighter in the province. Yeah, well, um, so they don't really explain yeah, it in the movie, but I, whatever. I had to say that. Though. Yeah. <laughs> um, they fight. It's beautiful. Uh, it turns into a Bollywood dance sequence. Yeah, it's, it's well choreographed. And um, and so after that, Ramona has to sort of explain everything to him, which is that you know if they if they're gonna date, that he has to defeat her seven evil exes. Yeah. And um, uh, so Scott agrees. They're together. He's officially cheating on knives. <laughs> um, so th- the next scene involves him actually breaking up with her, mm-hmm. uh, which is sad. Um, yeah. Uh, soon after knives that, is a very sympathetic character yeah, throughout the whole movie. Yeah. She's very likable. I don't know who her actress is, but she's <laughs> her name she's is perfect. Ellen. Her name is Ellen Wong. You can okay. look her up. Cool. <laughs> she's great. Good if job, I, Ellen. If, if I recall, some of like the liner notes on like her performance was like. Her selling point on her audition was that she knew Taekwondo. I, I'd bite on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd be like, all right, you're in. Like, <laughs> you're perfect. Yeah, really. <laughs> so uh, fast forwarding through some more scenes, um, uh, Wallace's gay roommate is uh, stalking. Wallace is his gay roommate who is stalking. Yes, who is stalking <laughs> uh, his celebrity crush. His name is Lucas Lee. And uh, they happen to crash on his movie set where he's filming a new movie. Um, but is also Ramona's second evil ex. Yep. And so they have a fight there. Man, you know, blazing through is just so injustice. <laughs> how do you want, how do you want to do it? You want to bag up and do each thing scene by scene? <sighs> X by X? I don't know, man. Let's do it X by X. Let's go back to Matthew. So there's a there's a scene. <sighs> you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and skip some things here though. Okay. I'd like to skip to just talking about the director style. You already kind of sort of talked about it. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the director is Edgar Wright. If you don't know who he is, um, his most famous, well, he most recently did Baby Driver. Uh, a lot of people oh, were talking about that, that movie. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, he also did uh, the Simon Pegg uh, Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and um, World's End. I think that's what it's called. That's the one. I, I, I wasn't into those movies. That's the one I haven't seen. Oh, you really should. I saw them and I didn't like them. Y- have you seen Hot Fuzz? Yes. Mm, that's a shame i love that movie yeah anyway so he's most famous for doing that he's he's also famous for having a very distinct uh uh, directorial style yeah you know i guess similarly to wes anderson you know he has a unique style that everybody sort of knows um only edgar wright does a lot of good action and comedy and stuff Mm -hmm. so um so if you're familiar with the cornetto trilogy or with baby driver then you you know what he does with the camera you also probably uh, to get a good gauge of it you should watch the the youtuber every frame of painting and he does a nice little like video essay on how edgar wright uses the frame as like his playground you know he's very good at using visual elements to sort of tell and push the story along and that's what you need for a comic book adaptation yeah this movie doesn't quite take it so over the edge like the original hulk movie where there's like panels just sort of like or you know quote unquote panels it just happens to be the frame inside of a square box mm-hmm. that's like panning from left to right oh it's a comic or whatever or like maybe every once in a while some things are like in that like yellow text you know what i mean um that certainly happens in this movie but it's never like hokey yeah um it seems perfectly natural and it's there to serve a completely perfect purpose Mm -hmm. at times you'll see a lot of like onomatopoeias come from like characters getting hit yeah like you know like flump or like sound effects or words will show up like visually somehow Mm -hmm. sometimes it will uh some like flashbacks are told in brian lee o'malley's uh comic book style style yeah um sometimes there will be like jump cuts of like kind of like almost like old dbz and like anime cup jump cuts for like 
like a a triangle of like a frame will show up and then like another triangle of a frame yeah. will show up. Yeah. Um it's all just done really well. And you know what, Dave, I know you haven't seen this movie. Um but it doesn't have a family friendly title. Kick butt. Oh, I know what the movie you're talking about. Have you yeah. seen that movie? No. I've seen it, and I and it's the same sort of idea. It's Is a, it by it's, him? No, it's not. Mm. It's by another guy. Um, okay. it's a, it's the same idea though of a graphic novel yeah. that got turned into a movie. Right. That is how not to do a comic book adaptation. I did not like that movie whatsoever. Mm. It was so like, if you've seen this movie, then maybe you can validate or tell me that my opinions are garbage. But like, it was very ham fisted. It was very mm. much like we're a comic. <laughs> yes, thank you. Can I can I watch the movie? But we're on a monopias. <laughs> it's yeah. It's really crazy how he how it doesn't feel like that in this movie because it happens a lot. Like it's all over the place, you know? I guess it's also not just that, but also the video game elements are also around there too. Yeah. Um, like anytime there's a fight, you always have the scene of like Scott and like the other person like facing off each other with a versus in the middle. Yeah. And again, it's it's done so naturally because his style is so consistent throughout the movie that it's never yeah. out of place. Yeah. Um, there's other things. There's other things even meant for humor. Like there's a there's a spot where Scott has to pee, and so he goes into the bathroom. And as soon as he closes the door, you see a pee meter yeah. just like blinking because it's like f- overflowing or about to. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and it, it drains in like less than a second. Yeah, and it's stuff. very quick. Little things like that, right? Yeah. There's also a lot of video game sound effects here and there, like especially from a link to the past Zelda. Yeah, um, I, they went to Nintendo specifically to ask for because they use quite a few. Uh, like actual songs from Legend of Zelda here and there, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nice touch. It works. Um, uh, the humor also. I mean, how do you describe the humor in this movie? Fast. It Everything is. Everything is very snappy. Yeah. Everything happens with really, really good timing. There's never any moment where like they pause for audience laughter. Yeah. <laughs> it really keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the best way I can think of to put it. You know. Um, it's all very quick. It's all very clever. There are some parts that are kind of random and take you by surprise a little bit. But like we mentioned in El Dorado, it's like, oh, that's just the kind of movie this is. Like, it breaks the fourth <laughs> wall a couple times. Like, Julie's cursing is the biggest one that stands out to me. Uh, and as that's a, as not a fourth like, wall break? Yeah. And yeah. that's not, like, my one of my favorite jokes in this movie. But it, like, doesn't ruin anything, mm. which I feel like in a lot of movies it would. It, it just rolls with itself very well. Um, there's a, I, I will say that actually all the jokes that are done like in dialogue, mm-hmm. a lot of them are taken straight from the comic book yes. and it's amazing how well they work. It really is. Um, the, the delivery of them is really good. Many of the jokes that are visual are probably Edgar Wright's brainchild, like Dave's favorite joke in the whole <laughs> movie. Maybe you've seen a gif of this somewhere, but there's a, there's a, there's a spot where, uh, knives, who is already broken up with Scott, you know, yeah. go, goes to his house to look for him. Wallace opens the door and is like, you know, is Scott there? And he just goes like, um, you know what? This, this whole scene, I just want to break down. So he opens, they know Scott's, or that Knives is at the door because, like, she calls first for some reason. And so Scott is, like, standing there awkwardly in the middle of the door as Wallace goes to open it. And Wallace opens it, and for, like, a split second, he opens it to the point where you can see Scott and then he closes it just enough so that he's not in the shot anymore. And the next thing you know, Scott's knife says, is Scott here? Wallace goes, uh, you know what? And there's a tiny window to the top left of Wallace, and he just jumps right through it. 
And Wallace says, he just left. <laughs> and she just like looks crushed. Really? And he's like, yeah. yeah. And as Scott reaches back into the window to grab his coat, and he's just like, sorry. And as Scott is just running right behind yeah, as her. As it pans back to knives, looking disappointed, Scott's just walking off, like not in focus oh. at all in the distance. And, you know, you could say that doing a play-by-play on a, on a scene like that is probably taking the magic out. Well, then watch the dang movie. You, yeah. you, you will love it even still. Yeah. Because it comes out of nowhere. It's all just so fast. It's <sighs> like you know something's happening. Like you get the heads up that, like, Knives is coming. So, like, you feel that tension really quick, and then it just immediately goes into funny. And every, like moment is so like well placed there's like a split second for you to laugh at the fact that he's like in the frame and then he's not and then there's like a second for you to laugh for him jumping out and then it immediately goes into grabbing his coat and immediately goes (laughs) into him walking away all just in this tight little window where everyone is playing their parts so perfectly right Uh, (laughs) all right so let's let's keep progressing then i guess in the movie because now we're at lucas lee um, yes. Who is, side note, we won't go into too much detail, but is completely different from his comic book iteration. Yeah. But is hilarious. <laughs> Again, played by Chris Evans, Captain America. That's a good job. Um, uh, there's a big fight scene there. Um, Ash, I don't even want to describe his character. It's just, he's hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we can go on to uh, Evil X number three. Please, what's his name again? Todd. Thank you. Todd Ingram, um, who is the bass player in um, in the band called Clash at Demon Head, which is an NES game. Yeah. Uh, the name of an NES game. And uh, the lead singer of that, of that um, band is uh, Envy Adams, who is uh, Scott's big ex. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a scene where they're all just sort of chatting backstage because Sex bob played a show with them. Like, yeah, basically as part of their, like, machinations to get Scott there so Todd can crush him and for Envy to, I don't know, enjoy watching him crush him, they invite Sex Bomb to play, like, the opener for them. And mm-hmm. Steven Stills, who's the leader of the band and the talent, can't say no. <laughs> so. And so, so Scott can't have it anymore, and he's about to lay one on to Todd, uh, only to find out that Todd is psychic. <laughs> Todd is vegan. <laughs> Both of those answers are correct. Yeah, both those answers are correct. He has psychic powers because... Because he's a vegan. Because he's a vegan. Being vegan just makes you better than most people. <laughs> so he has all these crazy psychic powers yeah. because he's a vegan. And uh, they have a, they have a nice long fight. They even have a bass battle because uh, Todd's the bass player in, in uh, Clash of Demon Head. Mm-hmm. But Todd, Scott, is just, yeah, Todd is just way player. better. <laughs> um, but uh, the way that, that Scott defeats him is... <laughs> It's very like cliche, but it works because yeah. of like the added element. So he he knocks him into like uh, Todd knocks him into this coffee, and so Scott's like, "All right, you beat me. How about we have a drink to my memory?" And so he offers him a cup of coffee with uh, soy milk in it, and so they're like, "We know what you're trying to do here. <laughs> like you poured half and half in there." He's like, "I could see in your mind's eye she poured half and half into one of those cups," and so he he takes the one that he's not offering him, the one that doesn't have it in it, and he drinks it. And Scott says, actually, I poured into that one, but I thought really hard about <laughs> pouring it into that, this one, you know, in my mind's eye or whatever. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> you just said half and half, baby. <laughs> and then the vegan the police. The vegan police show up. <laughs> Isn't one of those guys like a, 
Oh, one of those guys is something. I, I don't yeah. know who, though. There's a reference in there, but yeah. it's a little beyond me, certainly. So basically, they go and they list his crimes, which go well beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're partaking of chicken parmesan. Chicken isn't vegan? <laughs> so they take away his vegan powers. Yeah. And then there, there then Scott is able to vanquish him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, At g- this point, the, the sort of conflict between Scott and Ramona starts coming into play. And we should probably talk about how that's done in the movie. Because it, the relationship between Scott and Ramona admittedly isn't the best in this movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it, though, when, you know, because they had to rush it. They had more time to flesh it out in the books, obviously. Yeah. Um, it, in the movie, it basically comes down to, I mean, the fight with Todd specifically was just absolutely crushing to Scott. Like, he just gets thrown through every brick wall in the building and just gets the snobbied at him for the majority of the time. And so he is just not in, he's just, they make a big deal to constantly show that he's got a headache or that he is just in physical pain. And he's a little sick of dealing with this stuff. Um, and at the same time, Ramona hasn't always been super supportive of him fighting her exes. And also like, not really like telling her, telling him the whole story or anything like that. Yeah, he, she kind of disappears after he fights um, the second Lucas Lee. Um, and she sticks around while he fights Todd, but it, I don't know. She's just kind of like, okay. She's like, she doesn't want to tell him the whole story of why, of how they were dating. And he starts to pick up on the fact that he, she is the one who's broken up with all of her exes. Like mm-hmm. she's always been the dumper, not the dumpy. Yeah. And so this combined with his own insecurities, which is kind of played up more in the movie. In the movie, it's more about how insecure Scott is, right? It's more about the fact that he feels like, when he got dumped by Envy, it was just crushing blow to his self-esteem. And there's a running gag where people will comment on his hair. And he he makes, like, like it obviously affects him. He's like, no, no, it's fine. And then the voiceover comes, Scott is acutely aware that his last haircut was exactly 431 days ago, right before Envy breaks up with him. And so it's just this sort of running gag that he doesn't think very highly of himself in a weird way. And he just sort of has these self-esteem issues. So when he finds out that Ramona's very mercurial and like she changes her hair like every week or whatever, he just get, he starts to freak out a little bit. Um, so these things combined sort of lead to them having a spat after he beats uh, Todd. And also Roxy, because this happens way soon after that too. Roxy comes like right in the middle of it and she yeah. just sort of worsens things. Yeah. Roxy is the fourth evil ex and Roxy's a girl, which is why they never say evil ex boyfriends. Well, why she never says yeah. evil ex boyfriends. It's always evil exes instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after that they have, yeah, like another giant spat. Um, and things are sort of like kind of sort of up in the air. We don't really know what's going on. But the next fight, um, uh, on the list that the actual physical list that Ramona gives Scott. <laughs> Happens to be the Katianagi twins. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, who are the Katianagi twins? To which Stephen Stills goes, oh, you, you don't know. know. <laughs> and then they also happen to be the next band that they have to fight in the still battle of the bands that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a, they're a, a twin Japanese uh, brother-brother duo who like do electronica music and whatever. On their keys. Um, this is, again, they take a whole book to do all of this in the in the comic books, but this is just in one scene Yeah, this here is like a 10 Where they, they, do an the amp, they do an amp versus amp fight. Yeah, like the, the twins don't even get any dialogue. Yeah, um, they don't. They don't say a single word. Which is, if you read the books, it's a shame, but in the context of the movie, it's kind of fine. Yeah. Like the way the pacing is sort of led up to it, it, it works fine. In the audience of this fight, though, happens to be G-Man Graves, 
um, and Ramona. They they're like together. Um, and so Scott is like pretty determined though. Like he's, he's going to win this, you know, he's going to, he's, he's going to win this. He's going to also win back Ramona. Yeah. He, uh, and so they, they play their songs. The, the way that it's visualized is very awesome too. It's very like rampage. Do you remember that game? Yeah. That's you know, like the first thing that sort of popped into my head. You know, a lot of people made that comparison too, but I didn't. Uh, there, there's a fighting game, a really old arcade game. It's not rampage. And I remember this immediately brought it into my head because it is sort of a fight that, that basically through their music, the Katinagi twins summon like a twin Shinron dragon type thing. Are you thinking of Primal Rage? I think I am thinking of Primal Rage. Oh. Uh, but And so Sex Bomb winds up summoning this giant gorilla thing. And there was an old like arcade fighting game that I think was Primal Rage where it was kind of like that, where it was just these big giant creatures or whatever fighting each other. I don't know if that was the reference specifically it was trying to make, but that is definitely where my head went. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they win. Um, the, the Sex Bobomb wins. And, like, in the midst of it, uh, Stephen Stills remarks that, oh, Gideon's here in the audience. And based on the list, Scott knows that Gideon is number seven. And at this point, he puts together that G-Man Graves and Gideon Graves are the same person. And that Ramona is back with him. Yeah. So there's a scene uh, back outside there where G-Man Graves is, like, ready to just completely sign Sex Bob-omb, sort of a spite Scott, though. Yeah. Um, and Ramona says, I'm back with him. Like, he just has this control over me. He has his way of getting in my yeah. head. Yeah. And so that's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott is also kicked out of the band. Young Neil, who's another another player, uh, comes in and joins Sex Bob-omb instead. Um, and uh, Scott's life sucks. Scott's life sucks. <laughs> So he goes back home and uh, he gets a call from Gideon um, saying like, you know, like, hey, man, no hard feelings. But, you know, Sex Bob-omb is playing at my new chaos theater and I just wanted you to come up and, and you know, come to the party, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he asks, like, you know, is Ramona with you? And he's like, hey, are you with me? And she was like, she nods. Yeah, she nods. And he's like, yeah, she's with me. And then he goes, ah! <laughs> you know. Um, OK. Because he spilled hot cocoa on himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the at the encouragement of his of his roommate Wallace, um, he decides to storm the Chaos Theater and take on Gideon. Uh-huh. Uh, he does so, you know, he, he goes through his guards and Gideon is all like, you know, uh, you know, are you really going to do this for her? And he's like, yes, because I love her. And then a sword shoots out of his chest because Scott Pilgrim's earned the power of love with some stats on the side, too. It's yeah. beautiful. So he, he takes on all the guards, but is not strong enough to take on Gideon. Uh-huh. Um, he's he's almost down. And then who should show up but Knives? Yeah. Uh, Knives shows up because she wants to get revenge on uh, on Ramona, finally, for taking for taking Scott. Because yeah. Scott would never have cheated on her otherwise. No, right? no. Um, so then Scott finally has to intervene and is just sort of like, I I cheated on you. And it was like, or like, you know, and so basically there's a moment where they yeah. both are looking at him like you cheated on us. Yeah, and, and he's, he's like, like No, uh, I cheated on one of you. Yeah. <laughs> the other one. And Gideon takes that opportunity to get him and to stab him. And he's dead. Yeah. In in back in his dream world, um, you know, he has this short little monologue with Ramona where she like finally kind of comes clean with everything where it seems like Gideon like actually has some sort of like mechanized control over her. Mm-hmm. 
that's the only thing that's sort of like oddly not explained. That is the weakest plan. And it's also movie. not in the books either. But it's explained a in a different reason, way in the books. There is a reason it is there because of the books, which we'll get to. So um, so basically, though, uh, earlier in the movie, he got a one-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you sort of like, oh, that's a cute video game sort of reference, whatever, yeah. like that. But no, he actually gets a one-up. And so he's able to do the whole thing over again. Only this time, when uh, Gideon is like, you really want to do this for her? He instead answers no i want to do this for myself yeah and then another sword shoots out of his chest and it says scott pilgrims are in the power of Mm self-respect uh and this time it is stronger to take on gideon um he's able to preemptively sort of stop uh knives from getting onto ramona and just confesses right there on the spot Mm -hmm. uh which sort of takes care of ramona's like mechanized control for whatever reason yeah that's just kind of weird um so basically, they fight more and more, Gideon and, and Scott. Uh, Gideon seems to get the upper hand um, until Knives and Scott uh, join up. And, and they're Ramona able, helps, too. And Ramona helps, too. <laughs> and, then, and then Gideon is gone. Yep. Um, that's basically the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, there, there's a moment where, at the end of the movie, there's kind of a question of who Scott's going to end up with. Because throughout the whole movie, it really paints Knives as the much more sympathetic one. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel bad for Knives. Like, she's... She's really sweet in a weird, crazy way. Uh, And so there's a moment where it looks like he's going to get with Knives, but Knives is like, no, you need to be with Ramona. Like, she's the one you've been fighting for the whole time. And so they decide basically to try again, just to start over, and they get together, and that's the end of the movie. (sighs) Describing it in this way is really making me realize how we don't do it justice this way at all. I know. It's really strange. Um, It's because this movie is made up of so many individual moments that are brilliant. The overarching story isn't really what it's about. Um, And that is more so for the movie than for the books. The books have a really nice overarching story where the characters have much more of of like an arc, if you will. There's no real arc to Ramona in the movie, right? She's mostly just the object. and Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's going to be weird to sit here and say these things because it's going to sound like this isn't one of my favorite movies of all time. Or it shouldn't be, but it is. It's just not for these reasons. It's for all the other things it does. Mm -hmm. Um, You still feel connected to Scott, right? Like, for me, at least, when I watch the movie, even though he's a jerk, he's still really likable somehow. Or was I alone in that? No, no, you're right. I think it's, I think, I think only Michael Sarah could have delivered that way, you know, where it's like, yeah, like he is a jerk and he does own up to it in the end. Um, But he's not like trying to be a jerk. No. He just doesn't want to deal with the consequence of his actions. Yeah. Like, and that is very much in the book too. So that's cool, but it's, it's very different. Um, there's, there's no way to, to talk about this movie and say what makes it great without its humor. And there's no way to express its humor over air because Edgar Wright does such a good job of using the visuals. Mm-hmm. And did you want to talk about that anymore? Um, no, we kind of we kind of hit on all of it. Yeah, I mean, like we could, but like we're just gonna be talking about it every yeah. single thing. Or in even the movie. even the sound effects, the way sound effects are used at just the right moments, or the right use of a video game soundtrack versus or a sound effect versus like a, a more traditional sound effect. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's all done very intentionally and very well. Every joke feels so intentional. Like they spent so much time crafting exactly where all the pieces would be. Yeah, you know. Um, 
it's just very carefully crafted. The best part of it is its consistency too. Yes, like the movie never lets up on that sort of comic book style. <laughs> no, um, it, it always has something else for you to keep you laughing. Like even if it's not from the book or something, like the weird sitcomy part. He comes <laughs> home after. Yeah, there's a part where he comes home after you know getting a little bit of something from Ramona. Getting the first and um, half base. And uh, and the Seinfeld theme plays. Yeah. With like a sitcom laugh track, laugh track. like. <sighs> It sounds terrible. <laughs> it really does. If you told me that's what happened in this movie, I'd be like, I don't want to see that movie. Mm-hmm. That sounds dumb. And then, like, without, like, unceremoniously, it's gone. Yeah. It's just, it's it, there it's, for a couple of when, gags. Yeah. Like, Wallace flips a switch, which is actually, like, for his stove or whatever. <laughs> and that's just the end of the laugh. But that, like, you can tell that that marks the end of the laugh track yeah. at the same time. It's really like clever, they didn't just really like subtle. They weren't just like, oh, you know, it'd be funny here. We did some sitcom laughter, and that's random. It's funny, <laughs> you yeah. know. They all then no, they were like, yeah, and then we can line it up with this switch right there. Like it'll be great. Like yeah. uh, it was just thought out. It was thought out super well, and it was consistent the entire time. Yeah, <sighs> and all the acting was really good too. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, Wallace was fantastic. Wallace is fantastic. Wallace was so good. Uh, Kim Pine is fantastic. It's a shame we haven't talked about Kim at all up to this point. Well, you know what? She doesn't really get as much as a spotlight in the movie as she no, does yeah. in the book. Exactly. In the book, she is an absolute integral player. Oh, my gosh. Um, in the movie, they do mention that uh, Scott and Kim were once an item. Yeah. Um. The book, um, this is a much, much bigger conflict in the book, but you yes. can see in the movie that, you know, Kim is always very just sort of like whatever. Scott, Scott. if your life had a face, I would punch mm-hmm. it. Yeah, very much <laughs> like that. And it's it's only towards the end of the movie, Scott, like, you know, to to like be better about himself. He's like, you know, Kim, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about everything. I'm sorry about me, you yeah. know, and like, and you can see that she accepts the apology too and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's a gigantic arc, though, in the book that spans a couple of books, I think. It um, doesn't really get resolved until the last book. No, it's mostly, it mostly comes up in the la- in the last two books, or when it's really at its height. But it's not until the last book that it gets resolved, mm-hmm. and it's a big growth point for Scott in the books. Envy Adams also has a much larger role in the books than in the movie. Yeah, um, in like an interesting, weird way. Yeah, she's kind of weird in the books. You guys just need to read the books. You just need to read the books. The books like delve into a lot of like pretty um kind of like a teenagery topics kind of. But it's not teenage, it's young adult. It, yeah. it really is like this is the struggle of young adults like now. I don't know. It, this is really not a good way to put it other than that. It it's real <clears throat> in a strange way where it doesn't take itself too seriously. The the best thing I could compare it to, I don't know, would you say that this series has a similar um, humor and tone to Undertale? As in, like, the serious moments? How it handles the serious moments and their style of humor. Because Undertale, which I link again to Earthbound, have this really weird way of touching on like really heavy stuff to where by the end you feel like you learned something kind of. Uh, But during the book, you never feel like it's teaching you. It always handles them in the midst of humor. Like it doesn't, it doesn't force you to stay there any longer than you want to. I, I think I would agree with that. I still don't know if I would say 
this reminds me of Undertale, but I, I think I agree with your comparison here. Mm. Um, because the move, the books do go pretty deep. They I'm go pretty say. serious. Uh, they go very serious and very symbolic. Yeah. Um, the the bulk of the the I guess even the movie too, but the bulk of the books deal with like dealing with being hurt from a relationship. Yes. Um, and being able to move on from that. In Scott's case. He, um, in Scott's case, he pretty much pretended like it never happened. He, yeah, he, he <laughs> the running gag is that he has an awful memory. <laughs> he forgets it. He forgets like his brother a couple times in the book. <laughs> uh, he like forgets how he and uh, whoever his exes broke up or he like invents these wild and crazy stories around it. Mm-hmm. And he'll like invent these things. And later on, it's it's revealed that Gideon has a little bit of a part in that as well. But Scott does enough of it on its own mm-hmm. to make it pretty bad. It's more that he's just not facing up to his own mistakes and he doesn't really understand why things keep going wrong because he doesn't want to deal with his own stuff. So in the book, the second sword, there's a similar arc in the, it's interesting to note as well. When this movie was finished, the book series was not finished. Right. The book, last, the last book wasn't out. Book yet. six was not out. Brian Lee was in the process of writing it. So he actually said that he took a few, uh, a few ideas from the movie to put in his book. Um, specifically sort of the visual design of the chaos theater. Um, I think one thing he did was, you know, where he's going down in the movie and there's like a down arrow pointing. It's sort of the visual thing. Oh, wow. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, but like, I, how about well, that? Edgar, Edgar Wright knows Brian Lee O'Malley style better than Brian Lee O'Malley. Yeah, and so Brian Lee O'Malley saw it and was like, oh, I'm going to put that in my book too, in the sixth book, because it's not done yet. I think that was one where he did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, so... In the movie, it sort of leads you to think he's getting back with knives because that was originally what they wanted to do in the movie. But then Brian Lee and I was like, no, he's he is going to wind up with Ramona. And so they kind of went back and forth like, well, it's our own thing. So do we want to have him? No, nah, we'll have him get back with Ramona. And <laughs> that's part of why it feels a little weak because the final battle with Gideon is like it's very much knives and Scott against the world. Um, they are the ones taking down Gideon. It it does a nice callback to a moment earlier in the movie when on one of their dates they're playing Ninja Ninja Revolution, <laughs> uh, which is actually Dance Dance Revolution. Um, so that's kind of why it feels like that. But again, in the book, um, the scene with the sword where he, he does, you know, spoiler, he dies in the book and has a one-up or whatever. Um, and he gets his second sword when he gets back. But it's not called the power of self-respect. It's called the power of understanding because in the book, Gideon isn't so much an, in the movie, Gideon is like, I'm just better than you. Yeah. Right. And that's sort of the running thing. Like Todd, Todd is just better than him because he's a vegan <laughs> and he's a better bass player. And Lucas Lee is just better than him because he's a freaking movie star and like a skateboard legend. And he kind of only beats him. He kind of only beats both those guys because he tricks them. <laughs> and in the book, it's kind of a similar thing where he kind of just beats them out of dumb luck. But you know, he, he beats them. And that's not the point isn't really that he's better than these guys in the book. But in the movie, that's more the thing. And it's represented through his shirts, too. Because when he's fighting uh, Todd, like, all of the exes have, like, their numbers, like, all around them, right? Yeah. Matthew Patel always does a stance where he sticks his finger up in the air like a <laughs> one. Uh, Todd has the, or excuse me, um, Lucas Lee has the t- has the number two tattooed on, on his, his neck. Yeah. Just because, I guess. Uh, Todd has a number three on his shirt. Yeah, and while he's fighting Todd, Scott has the word just zero on his shirt. <laughs> um, and then after he fights uh, what's it, Roxy, he has like a 
Fantastic Four shirt, except this is four and a half, <laughs> which is just like weird. But it, it, it's much more about Scott coming into being more confident on who he is and also dealing with his stuff and like dealing with it in a confident way and not trying to hide anything. In the book, as opposed to just being better than him and him having to get over that, uh, in the book, it's more that Gideon is what Scott could be. Right. It's that villain trope of the villain is who the hero could be if he took a different path and who he was sort of heading on the path towards without really knowing it up to book six in a way. There's and- a, there's yeah, there's a weird po- spot in the fight where like Gideon sort of reveals that he has all of his ex-girlfriends like cryogenically frozen yeah. until they like love, love him, him again. again. Yeah. Um, and that's like, I mean like that's, that's, obviously hugely symbolic like for anybody who like hasn't gotten over an ex-girlfriend or something like that mm-hmm. um and that's essentially what scott was doing too because we go through a lot of his ex-girlfriends in the in there only he was able to like get over it and just sort of like accept accept the bad you know what i mean except the, that's the, how he ends up growing, because for most of the book he just kind of ignores it and sort of either plays the victim himself or just acts like it was fine it was never a big deal it right. didn't really matter um yeah so, and like I said, in the book, it's about the power of understanding. So once he understands the mistakes he made and understands, like, the horrible person he had been, it, yeah, that that is his moment. And when he understands that he could have been Gideon if he had not sort of fixed himself, that's what sort of gives him the strength to push through. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, it is more about him being more comfortable. And he winds up just handing over his position in the band to young Neil, who he affectionately now refers to as Neil. (laughs) Uh, So it's more about him being comfortable in his own skin and like finding the power of self-respect. But it's really hard. This is, this, this This is is the worst. This was a terrible idea. (laughs) This ended up being a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. This is this sucks. Don't all, listen to us. All I wanted to do was just share how much we love this movie, and now I just feel bad. The book, the books are better, and the the movie even tells you so through Como's like <laughs> random dialogue. But that little dialogue is great, and you can watch this movie so many times, and you'll always catch something new. This is something that I actually saw in like a, it was like in a director's cut or something. But do you remember the scene where Ramona and Scott are on the bus after he beats Matthew Patel? Yeah. Do you look in the lights in the background? No. If you look in the lights in the background, when Ramona is sort of uncertain and talking about how he's got to beat her evil exes if you look at the lights in the background they're all exes <sighs> all the lights in the street and like the reflection of light are all exes and then you look go back to scott and you look at the lights outside the window on his side and they're all little hearts because oh. he's like <laughs> so we're dating and then at the by the end of the scene in ramona's window they're all hearts as well <laughs> i i think i'm gonna have to rewind then yeah and it's those little things that you catch one time in this movie that you never caught before because all of the it's visual humor but it's not slapstick mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. which and we, we actually watched kind of a slapstick visual humor thing afterwards that Saul was really into I'm not into that kind of humor yeah. that doesn't really do it for me but uh-huh. like the timing and like Saul was saying how he uses the frame it's all so smart and it's all so quick um I and mean it, that that sums up Edgar right too yeah any of his movies like does that masterfully and, and talking about Edgar Wright, how I didn't like... So I saw Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Um, and I think part of it is... I don't want to be a prude, but, like, they were a little... 
gory. Like it, it, it was a little much for me. It was a little too much for me to enjoy the movie. And I don't know, it, the aesthetic of Scott Pilgrim was so convincing and so intentional and so gorgeous. Like they use all these video game and like uh, comic book effects and yeah, okay, maybe it preyed on my nostalgia a little bit, but it all <laughs> looks good, right? Like Gideon, when Gideon pulls out his sword at the end fight, it's like the 8-bit sword. Mm. But it's not just that it's an 8-bit sword. It's like it pixelates everything around it mm-hmm. in like a really cool-looking way. Like it just looks awesome. Like regardless, like 8-bit is a thing. I Look, full disclosure, I'm gamer day, gamer nerd. I never owned an NES until I got married, and <gasps> I inherited my wife's. So the 8-bit era is, like, that's actually, like, before my time, like, legitimately. So when people are like, oh, 8-bit nostalgia, woo, I'm like, sorry, man. Like, <laughs> even if I didn't have that self-respect that Saul was talking about, didn't want to get suckered into this, like, it's just not there. But the sword is just cool because of all the visual effects they they mix in with it, right? And mm. they put in around it. If we want to talk about the other things that the movie does different from the book, I thought it handled X's number two and three better than the book did. Yes. Um, it, it, it undoubtedly handled four, five, and... Or, yeah, I would say four through seven worse, but it handled two and three better. Um, I mean, when we say worse, it's not, it's not, it's still not bad in the movie. It's not bad. It's yeah. just they couldn't handle it with as much care because it's an hour and a half to two hour movie as opposed yeah. to six graphic novels. And you, you're working within the limitations of your medium, and this movie does it right. Like, mm-hmm. it just does it. Like, if you watched it, it, I think it would be hard to, you wouldn't be watching this movie for the story gonna be watching it for like the emotional relationship between Ramona and Scott and that's fine because the movie isn't trying to do that when I talk about when I like to talk about movies uh, a lot of times I like to talk in terms of what the movie was trying to do and whether or not it succeeded because if a movie isn't trying to do something how how can I criticize it for it right like if a movie if it's not central to the plot like the the relationship between uh, Ramona and Scott why would I why would I like condemn this movie for that? It's not trying to do that. Now, would it be better if that was there? Maybe, but it might have taken too much away from the comedy. Mm-hmm. It might have taken too much of that time, or it might have caused the movie to drag. This movie didn't put anything in it that it would cause a drag. Would I is the book better, quote unquote, more emotional because I get Kim's backstory and I get what her relationship with Scott is? Yes, but the movie just can't do that and it doesn't try to shoehorn it in it would have been much worse much worse if they tried to shoehorn it in and not done a credit Mm -hmm. it was much better that they just ignored it pretty much completely and that was fine because that was exactly what the movie was trying to do it was trying to make you laugh and make you care for the characters enough right make you care for knives enough that you felt bad at her and you like had some like sympathy for her in her moments of craziness which happened throughout the movie and spoiler alert you do yeah you do you and absolutely do. Same with Michael do. Sarah. Same with Michael Sarah's Scott Pilgrim. You care enough about him while being sort of exasperated at what an idiot he is. <laughs> uh, and the other characters, Wallace, it's a shame we haven't talked about Wallace is like the star of this movie. When I first saw this movie, I was like, Wallace is the greatest character. <laughs> Wallace is just absolutely the best thing about this movie. Even if he is the other Culkin. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that, but really? I, I but I do love his character. Well, you're a big fan of Knives, though, huh? If you had to pick one character who's like the standout star, <sighs> that's hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've I would probably yeah, I, I would it's, say it would be easy for me to say Knives, 
Um, I would like to say Stephen Stills, but he's not as he's not as you know prominent a character as either of those. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would say Knives. Yeah, I I just think Wallace is or or uh, X number two and three. <laughs> uh, because in the book there really isn't that much of a fight with X number two. Yeah, and number two, so he's still the same guy. He's still Lucas Lee. He's still a movie play a movie uh, actor. Skateboarder. After being a skateboarder, yeah. Um, but the the fight like. He's a little more apathetic than Blase, and he's even like, "All right, fine. Like, I'll, I'll just say that you won if you pay me like five hundred dollars." He's a sellout. Yeah, and so they still don't even fight, but they still, but he still dies the same way. Yeah, uh, grinding down rail gar- garbage rails. <laughs> and um, number three, that fight is just drawn out a whole lot. Um, they they end up doing a challenge at the very famous Toronto Mega Store. The oh. late, the late great, honest Eds. <laughs> All right, I did miss that scene. <laughs> that was a good scene. But. They, I mean, not to go into too much detail, but they basically both get completely overwhelmed <laughs> with honest Eds to the point where uh, Todd just blows up the place with his psychic powers. Oh, that's kind of sad now. Now that it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. They Todd. could have immortalized it. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Um. Yeah. But it, it, it's also the vegan he loses powers in the same way where the vegan police show up, but it in the book it, it takes more time to watch Envy and her relationship with Todd to where Todd is actually like cheating on her and he's yeah. just a big douche and he he cheats on his veganism too because he's a rock star and he doesn't care yeah. or whatever. So in the movie, those are still there in the background, like where he, he punches the highlights out of Knives' <laughs> hair. No, it's not him. Yeah, it is. It's the drummer. No, well, in the book, that, in the book, it's the drummer. In the yeah. movie, he oh, punches the highlights oh, I out thought of you her were hair. St- I thought you were still talking about. The no, no, no. Here. Well, I'm, I'm trying. I guess I'm going back for so thank you for clarifying. <laughs> but like in the movie, he punches the highlights out of her hair, and he's like, "I'm not afraid to hit a girl. I'm a rock star." And so I think you're they did incorrigible. That. <laughs> I don't know the meaning of the word. He really he actually doesn't. does. <laughs> Which is also a gag from the book. But they they inserted it into this scene because they needed to show that he was a dick, basically. <laughs> uh, and so instead of having the drummer do it, they just had him do it. Which which was correct. This was the correct thing to do, the correct way to handle that situation. And so in the book, there's actually no there's no him tricking him into drinking half and half. The vegan police just still just show up and get him for eating gelato and chicken parmesan. <laughs> and it's like, I think Scott says, like, I could really use a convenient deus ex machina to beat this guy right <laughs> Yeah, now. that's right, he does. Yeah. Man, I love these books. So I have to reread them. It's still funny, but in terms of... <laughs> In terms of, I think he did that sort of intentionally to leave you a little unsatisfied at the end of the fight. Because, again, in the book, it's not as much about him. He's much more confident in the book, in a weird, Scott is, in like a weird way where he's sort of cocky, in like a quiet, likable way. I don't know how to describe it. Whereas in the movie, it is much more about him sort of proving himself to himself. Um, so he gets that moment in the movie where he outsmarts him at least. Um, and it is more satisfying. So I don't think the book would have suffered much for having him end the fight that way. Yeah. Even if it is a little cliched, which the movie acknowledges, <laughs> <laughs> but it throws in that twist. So where it feels a little bit more rewarding and humorous. Mm-hmm. And then the moments with the vegan police are just hilarious. <laughs> so it all feels right. So, you know what? We could go on for hours and hours but this I'm just this not sure if it would do you guys any good. No, but this episode, <laughs> I mean, straight up has just been a big like sort of love letter to the movie, the books, the franchise in general, and just like what it meant to both of us. You know, mm-hmm. it it was video game enough 
you know, for it to be entertaining, but it wasn't the central focus of it. It was a guy who grew up with these video games who made a reference to them without it. There's a, In the book especially, there's a lot of... Like, Clash at Demonhead is an old NES game. And in the book, there's more, like, band names that show up throughout the, like, history of the game. Like, Kid Chameleon is one. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is an old Sega platformer, which is, like, it's so obscure, I had no idea that it was that for a while. Uh, there's a couple other ones, like... But I guess it's not important. But it's all it's the, all like in the context of just being humorous as opposed to like, hey, read my book because I said this right, Nintendo right, games right, title. Right. Yeah. Which uh, is the same way it is in the movie. I mean, like, I what was one of the biggest ones? Like how like, you know, because Ramona uses like a lot of like like time like interdimensional like travel travel doors. Yeah. And like Scott asks, like, like Super Mario Brothers too? Yeah. <laughs> And it is. It's pretty much exactly yeah. like that. They've got the. That's why they have the star. The star on them. the door. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what they had in Super Mario Two, or like the Chaos Theater. I didn't actually get this one at first either, but the Chaos Theater, it's just a reference to Earthbound because that was a place in Earthbound. Oh, the I Chaos didn't know that. Theater. Yeah, I didn't know the that. The Chaos Theater was a place uh, in Earthbound, and so that's why I named it the Chaos Theater. But it's just a cool sounding name, <laughs> so you throw it in there, and the people who get it get it, and you don't need to get it to find it funny. In the book, also Scott starts a new band called Shatter Band, Shatter Band, which That's is a which is a reference to, to the NES game Shatter Hand. Yeah, <laughs> just little things like that. <sighs> oh man, you know what? I'm reading the books. Yeah. I'm rereading the books right away. That's what I'm going to do as soon as we're yeah, done here. Because there's probably. a lot of jokes here that I would love to talk about. What would just be like wasted? Yeah, I don't. I'll be honest. Reading the books is sort of an emotional investment for me because I get to the end and I start to wonder like. Am I too? Am I like Scott too? <laughs> am I dealing with? And this is from a guy who has like an ex girlfriend, <laughs> and it's still kind of like, am I running away from my past? Am I running away? Oh gosh, I'm a terrible person. Because Scott, in the books especially, but in the movie too, he he feels very much like an everyman. It's really kind of easy to connect yourself to him. Yeah. Without him being like a. a Bella from Twilight or whatever. Uh, it's not like he's an empty husk. He just feels like a normal dude who just has random, normal, everyday problems mm -hmm. that are exacerbated by the fact that he's in a comic book world and the best fighter in the province, I guess. So, <laughs> so like I said, we could go on and on, but I think we're going to have to just stop right here. Yeah. Suffice it to say that if you've not seen this movie um, and, you, and you're kind of into the stuff that we talk about on this podcast... This movie, you're more than likely going to like it. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if I recommend reading the books first and then watching the movie because our experience was movie first and then the books. It, it's it's always hard to recommend reading the books first because you're always going to notice what isn't there. I would probably recommend watching the movie first because it is much less of an investment. Like, if you're going to go read the books, you're going to spend a bit of money because you're going to have to buy six graphic novels. Yeah. If you, go, if you go watch the movie, it's not that much of an investment. And it, it gets your foot in the door to where, do you like this? Okay, if you like this, you're going to like the books. And the books are going to – the movie does it exactly how the movie needed to do it. It is, it is brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. But then the books are just going to add a bunch of stuff on top of it. Plus, you're going to see frames that are exactly done from the movie into the, it, uh, from the yeah, book into the movie. That's going to help you. You're going to see dialogue directly lifted. You're going to see just how close these characters look from their casting. <laughs> it's it's going to be a beautiful thing for you. Yeah, it's true. So and I mean, we'll just and you said that I I'm not ready to like rank in hierarchies of movies like where this would rank because it just takes too much thinking. I have to think about what movies I've actually seen, but where. You said you would put this in like your top five movies or top three. I think top five is, is a safer is a safer bet. Yeah. All right. 
I don't know. Like, there's only two movies that I know are in my top five. Okay. One of them is Scott Pilgrim, obviously. Mm-hmm. The other one is The Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> um, that's probably not going to make it on a podcast, but it is definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I If I was going to put mine in the list, the, the three that I would say are almost certainly in there are Scott Pilgrim, uh, Tangled, and Kung Fu Panda 2. Kung Fu Panda 2 specifically. I guess we'll have to talk about that one eventually then, too. We should. Or maybe just the whole trilogy. I mean, not all at once. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> um, anyways, in conclusion, watch it. Yeah. If you've already seen it, watch it again. Hey, if you like beat-em-ups, play the game, too. Mm, there you go. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. All right. I love it. We're done here. We're done here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you stuck around for the entirety of the podcast, you deserve a medal. Um, yeah, so that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go read the books. Okay. All righty. So thank you again uh, just for hanging on. This is our 13th episode, so unlucky number 13. Something like that. Uh, special thanks again to Danny Barrett Huvert for the wonderful artwork. Special thanks again to the uh, combined efforts of OC Remix. Uh, Rob KTA and Expert Novice for the intro and outro music. Um, that's about it, right? That's about it. Alrighty. Like well, and share us and talk us and whatever else on social media. And all that nonsense. We'd appreciate it. And it'd be fun to interact with you guys. Please. Even if you disagree with us like you, like you heathens on Totoro. M- I dare you. Oh, that's right. We did get some disagreements on that. To people who didn't even listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste of my social media time. Get out of here. Oh, we'll see you on the next one. Take care.